0: Aloha. Aloha. My mic on? It seems like it's, is my mic on? I'm good? Excellent. Good morning. good morning. It's good to see all of you here. It's hard to follow up such songs as that. Even though I knew I picked them, I should have maybe picked slightly less emotional ones to try to follow. <laughs> but thank you all for being with us today, especially to the team from Grace Church. And all the help that they have been all throughout this week. It has been a privilege to get to know them. Get to share my house with them at times and then other occasions as well. They are a great group to follow and they have a bright future ahead of them. And I, it's going to be amazing to see what ministries that God will prepare for each of you in the future. So our passage today, you can see that we are going to continue on with what I talked about last month in which we're going to be talking about letting your light shine, or letting his light shine, to be more exact. And if you want, you can actually turn off that right now. We're not going to need that for the rest of the... There we go. Thank you. We're going to be mainly stuck in that passage of Philippians. But when it came now, to trying to decide what last message I would leave you with, what last challenge, because it has been a privilege to speak with you to be your pastor for this, oh, a little over a year. It's been quite an honor. I've learned quite a lot from you. And I hope that you've learned just a little bit from me even. But there are certain passages I think that we all, or the, the Holy Spirit guides us towards, or certain themes. And those are different for each and every one of us. For me, I tend to gravitate toward passages they have illustrations using light and we're going to get to the exact personal reason of that later on in this message but there is also some cultural aspect of that as well I no doubt many of you have learned over these past year that I very much am Hawaiian no laughs okay <laughs> yes it should be obvious but that and my people are often drawn towards light it was the light of the stars, that eventually helped us find the Hawaiian Islands. And even when the electric light bulb was first invented, and our king, David Kalakaua at the time, our second to last monarch that reigned, he was actually one of the first monarchs to circumnavigate the globe, the very first world leader to do so. And when he did that, he stopped in to see Thomas Edison's workshop And there he was demonstrated the light bulb. And he was so impressed by seeing this light that he commissioned Thomas Edison and the Edison Lighting Company to install them in his capital city of Honolulu. So Honolulu was one of the first cities adorned with these new electric lights. So we have been a people that have always been attracted to light. And more of that will follow. But in today's passage, we're gonna have to work up to this in fact if we begin looking at our passage second philippians chapters tw- i mean chapter 2 verses 12 through 18 in fact it begins with these words therefore my beloved ass now already you can see why last time i spoke i said that we had to deal with that prior passage before we could delve into this one because it'd be Imagine you get a letter in the mail and it begins, therefore. Therefore what? What has already been established that there's a therefore to follow? So just a brief review. In Last time we dealt in the first 11 verses. Therefore, this has two references. First, referencing what Paul had already said in the prior passage. But also, it's a reference to That Paul has a relationship with those who are receiving his letter, who are now reading it. And what was discussed last time? If we were to look through these 11 verses, we would see that there is a call to unity. A call to love one another. Furthermore, a call for humility. In fact, Paul is instructing us on how to live selfless lives. Is that better? Excellent. That's why I asked it first, but I understand it moves. Paul is leading us to live selfless lives. But not only that, he goes on to give us an example, the ultimate example in Christ. Where last time we saw how Christ emptied himself. And it's not just simply emptying. He, the one who deserves all glory and all honor, who should be worshipped alongside the Father for a temporary time, gave up his position and majority of his power to be subject to the Father, to become incarnate, to come to this world, to live under the limitations that you and I face in our physical lives. Not only that, he lived a perfect, sinless life so that when he was made suffer the humiliation of death. In effect, the death on the cross, which last time we saw was the most dehumanizing death possible. People, according to Romans, according to the Jews of his day and age, do not die on the cross. Those who are not people die on the cross. That is the shame he bore, but by which we are told, that Christ ele- I mean not Christ, that the Father elevates the Son, and the Father proclaims that by the name of Jesus Christ, by His name alone shall we be saved. And in fact, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord one day. even those who deny him now we will have to admit that fact one time. So, in just that one word alone, therefore, we already have so much meaning that Paul is reminding us once again of this relationship. In fact, he refers to this relationship again in those next two words, my beloved. Paul is now writing to the Philippian church. In fact, this, Paul is right now likely in a Roman prison, getting ready to face trial for being a Christian. In fact, he appealed his case to the emperor himself to adjudicate of whether or not he should be imprisoned or not. And in all likelihood, this is the time that Paul will get re- found innocent and released only to be arrested within a couple of years and ultimately executed. But at this point, Paul has resigned, to either fate. He believes he'll be released after he pleads his case, but ultimately he is willing to bear this punishment if it furthers the work of Christ. And then it concludes this opening statement, the word as. There's more to follow. Paul now has more instruction. It's not as though we're done with Paul making an appeal to unity, to show love to one another, In fact, it says in verse one, that if they claim to have fellowship, if they claim to have love for one another, that they are to listen, that they are to do, provide the ultimate example within Christ and how that brings forth salvation. But now Paul is going to address what is next to our relationships with the heavenly father, with the world. So as we continue on in this passage, we can see now in, the, in just these first two verses alone, our relationship and our responsibility because of what Christ has done that we have to, to the Father and to God, Godhead itself. And in it, there it is recorded, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only but now much more in my absence working out your own salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who works in you both the will and to do for his good pleasure in this passage just this short passage alone we have so much About our relationship that Paul tells us that we should have because of what Christ has done in his emptying himself and paying the price for our salvation. In fact, he's commending them because they have not only listened when Paul was present, in fact, this is one of the very first churches on the European continent that Paul went to. They have, and one of the most receptive, when you read his letter to them, in fact, it's overflowing with praise. In addition to instruction he knows that they are a people who have listened to him he has heard as much from the letters that have been delivered to him but now and even in his absence he knows that they are a people who have obeyed and he is now encouraging them in the way that he has left to him but it tells us this interesting phrase but now I mean work out your own salvation now doesn't this seem like an interesting thing that we are supposed to do work out our own salvation doesn't Ephesians tell us it is by grace we are saved not works in fact that is true that's not a trick question work out does not mean works based salvation at least works on our part if we go back To last time, we saw that all the works of the salvation were carried out via the Son. Instead, what Paul is reminding us here, that when we include last time's message, that Christ is the foundation of our salvation. So now the works that he is telling us to go forth and do are the results of our salvation. In fact, these are some of the first things and some of the only things that we will ever do that are imperishable. Our works before could not save us. But our works now are for the glory of our Heavenly Father. And he tells us that we are to work our salvation with fear and trembling. That doesn't sound very loving, does it? (laughs) But these are Reminders that are often lost in our, that we don't use these older definitions of fear and trembling anymore. Awe and respect. That maybe at times we do need to be fear filled with fear and trembling when it comes to our Heavenly Father. We don't often give him enough credit or show him the proper respect. Paul gives us these two words to turn our hearts back towards our Heavenly Father and towards Christ that our, that the works we do now are not for our benefit but for the benefit of his kingdom and his glory and once again these works originate because of the work of salvation that Christ has done and he ultimately tells us in this passage in verse 13 that is for his, that his will and his good pleasure that this change has been brought about to the world once again Paul is telling us about the work of salvation that it originated in God's mind God prepared the way Jesus was the one who carried it out and now the Holy Spirit follows through with us if we were to draw from other passages as well and see the fulfilling the complete work of salvation that Christ that God the Father, that the Holy Spirit have now carried out. But ultimately, it's carried out for God's good pleasure. Now, I want you to think about that, because to that first century listener, that is a very shocking statement. There is a God who actually cares about me. The average God of their day and age did not care about you, in fact, they're incredibly lazy. You have to constantly remind them of to do their job. In fact, when the prophet Elijah was mocking the prophets of Baal, saying, cry out louder. Perhaps he's asleep or on vacation. <laughs> the prophets of Baal actually believed that, that they had to shout louder. Perhaps he was away or on vacation. That you must do the work beforehand to get that God's attention To fulfill on their divine promise note how the formula is reversed our god did the work of salvation prior to us having to do anything in fact we are only able to do any of these works because of salvation coming from god beforehand And in fact, he is a God who did this to show that he loves us. That is a very different God than the God of their day and age. And I imagine, sadly, that that's a different God than many churches preach about today as well. But in these first two verses alone, we have dived into, because of what the Son has done, our relationship in our responsibility to our heavenly father and then in the next two verses we see our relationship and our responsibility to the lost now we've already covered that in our last time that if we claim to have love for one another and the spirit of god works within us that we are supposed to be without grumbling we are to work together But working with those lost people, a little bit of a stretch. But Paul reminds us that that is not the case. We are to have a relationship with them. In fact, we have a responsibility to them. It continues on in verse 14. Do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless, children of God, without fault, in the midst of of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. Now we'll work down to that light allegory right there. But once again, that command, do all things without disputing and complaining. We had already been told that at the beginning of this chapter, but now this is in reference to our relationship to the lost, to the world. in fact, he tells us not only without complaining and disputing, but we are to be blameless and harmless. Those don't sound like very manly American words, do they? But in here we can see that for blameless, one, who that when they think of a crime or think of bad behavior, well, there's no evidence of that. In fact, the word harmless here, they're incapable of harm a little bunny rabbit is incapable of murdering me therefore it's harmless to me in that regard it can destroy my crops but as far as murder me personally a bunny is not going to be able to carry that out in that regard it is harmless so our reputation to the world is that we are incapable of inflicting harm to them that's a hard Statement to measure up to sometimes, isn't it? Not only that, we are to be children of God. And this has to deal with our testimony. And last week, we got to hear some great testimonies, didn't we, in church? And throughout the week, many of these students gave their testimony during the youth nights, and I was able to hear some of them. But we are all Called to be a testimony aren't we that we by calling his children of God our behavior then is supposed to be representative of our father I am a children a child of Wendell and Diane heft my behavior reflects upon them just as much as I being a child of God my behavior reflects upon him or at least that's how the world judges us and if you were to look in your bulletin, you would see a quote that's probably paraphrased several different times. And I had to look up who the original author was because I honestly only knew the paraphrase. But you may be the only Bible that someone ever reads. That when they see your testimony, are they going to be like one that says, I want absolutely nothing to do with that God, that church ever. That may be the only Bible they ever read or when they see it do they want to go I want to know more about that God about that Bible and how he is different and how he loves me furthermore we are to be without fault that and he con- and this is followed with a contrast by those who are crooked or in the greek deviated from the standard or perverse which includes many synonyms corrupt or those in active opposition of our heavenly father unlike them we are to be without fault and then it follows with they are, we are to shine as lights, to be light bearers. The shine there is the command, the lights, in the Greek, light emitting objects, tor- which is described as torches or stars, or reflected light into the world and in a world, both the lost and the world in general. And I'm drawn to this passage, in many ways because of the words they're used. I've shared this with a few people, but in my culture, we tend to have actually two first names used interchangeably. Uh, the United States government doesn't really work with that well, so it oftentimes means that I, my Hawaiian name is recorded as my middle name. In my own culture, we have our English first name, our family last name, and the middle name is our Hawaiian name, and there's several rules when done traditionally about that of how we acquire our Hawaiian name. Sometimes we are named after ancestors. In fact, almost everyone of my siblings all are named after some ancestor in our family. There's other methods as well. For the namekeeper, sometimes we'll get a dream or just know when someone needs a different name. My mom originally wanted to name me Keahi, which means the fire in Hawaiian. But Hawaiian names also have poetry attached to them as well. And the one associated with that can sometimes be a little angry. (laughs) So it was suggested not that name. Instead, my auntie at the time, who was in charge of names and approving them or not, because there's several other rules we're not going to go into, instead suggested the name Kalama which that's two parts. Llama is a type of tree. It belongs to the ebony family for those who are interested in wood. And traditionally, it was used to make torches. Ka is the word for the. So, kalama. So, some people might look at that in a dictionary and go, why is your name the torch? But there's some imagery and poetry associated with that. The wood from the llama tree was used in since ancient times to mark the way to important places. They would cut they would use this torch exclusively for that purpose. In addition to constructing some other buildings, but it was the light that guided you towards your safe refuge. Much as the stars guided us. The word here for light in Hawaiian is malama lama, which is a star we don't know exactly which one it is anymore but it's known as the Star of Enlightenment. The star that guided my people to Hawaii is called Hokulea, the Star of Gladness. But ultimately, if I were to travel to that star, I would burn up and die. The star itself does not save me in that metaphor, but it guides me to the place of my home, much as a lighthouse on a sea cliff in a storm. If I go straight to that lighthouse, I am going to run into a cliff and sink and drown. But if I know where that lighthouse is and I have an appropriate map, then it can guide me to the safe harbor of which can provide me relief. That is my name in Hawaiian that I share with you now. In fact, in, jo- in John 8:12, Jesus said, well actually it begins with, then Jesus spoke to them again saying, I am the light. Of the world he who follows me shall not walk in darkness but have the light of life in this metaphor in this allegory that we are called to now you all as followers as children of God are these lights in a dark world and those who are not straight who actively oppose God to be the lights to guide them to that safe harbor to the one who can make the crooked straight who can make those who actively opposed him children as well fellow heirs our relationship and responsibility to the lost and Paul concludes this section describing his own joy in fact giving a little bit of his own testimony of what is coming about and it continues in verse 16 holding fast the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain yes and if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith I am glad and rejoice with you all for the same reason you also be glad and rejoice with me remember now Paul is in prison he has an idea that he is going to possibly be released but he is resigned to the that like that there is a high possibility that he is going to face death because of his faith in Christ and all he can really do at this point is write letters but if we were to go back to the beginning chapter one of Philippians We could see in that letter that he tells us that many of Caesar's household, because of Paul's imprisonment, have come to know Christ. That even in these dark times that look like they're ahead, because Christians at this time are facing persecution, but it is about ready to go to levels that none of them have ever seen, that few other points in history will be able to match. And it's during that period that Paul will ultimately die. And Paul here is now encouraging them. He has an idea that this is coming. And what does he tell them to cling to? The Word of God, the Word of life, the Holy Scriptures. That these are our guiding lights. And Paul is concerned about finishing well, he doesn't want his work to be in vain. He has come to love this church, and it is very much his wish to know that they are going to continue fine afterwards. And Paul gives a little bit of his testimony here. Remember how Christ last time emptied himself. Paul, in a similar way, is now emptying himself. How he has poured out his life and service, and he knows he is reaching the end of his ministry soon paul is imitating the example that christ gave in a in a little way because who can measure up to christ no one but paul shows through the example that it is possible to imitate in some regard to be obedient to let christ work through you now this is a little bit of paul's testimony now we're going to change gears a little bit and this part is I tried scripting this but it's actually very difficult so I'm sorry if this comes across a little weird at times but it has been quite an honor and privilege to be your pastor for over a year and many of you have heard different aspects of my testimony in fact if you're wondering how you could even do some of carry out this passage because well we all can't measure up to Christ. Paul is held up obviously. But even if I've some aspects of my life. How do you not not everyone here grew up in a good Christian household, became a US Marine and had the same experience as I did. All of us have had different hardships. Even me. some of them are quite difficult to put into words but you have all been a blessing to me in this regard to share some of them with you now now I'm going to not specifically name it because I don't want you to jump to conclusions and also a different reason that we will not get into now but and I ask that you suspend your thinking about what I'm what I'm actually talking about and just listen for a moment I was actually born with a neurological condition. That, the, that on a simple physical level, my brain is wired almost completely differently than everyone else's. That the way my thoughts work, the way the neurons fire, is drastically different than most people. No, most of the time, it doesn't come across because I'm on the more mild end of the spectrum of what happens. But that has led to several different things I have had to deal with my entire life. And this went undiagnosed until about my second or third grade in school, when they did the test to figure it out. And even now, there is so much negative coverage of this that you'll pretty much meet no one who admits to it, because there's, I cannot think of one positive portrayal. But some of the effects, because my brain is wired in this different way, is one i have harder time controlling my emotions a lot of times that comes out and i'm not ashamed of that but also you know how when you get asked a question and you are about to answer with something that's probably stupid and you shouldn't say that filter effectively doesn't exist for me so i purposely and this is like one of the major parts of this condition that people know about that I have purposely had to build into everyday conversation to stop and think like for five seconds whether or not what I'm about to say is something dumb. So at sometimes it may look like I'm disinterested or a, I'm brushing people off. I, and I realize that I should have, I'm now realizing that I should have told more people about this sooner to avoid situations like this but it's so it was so hard in my life to actually come out with this and to tell people in fact before our village missions conference last week where I told the leadership about this exact condition there have only been five people in my life outside my immediate family I've ever told this to John Hartman my best friend Jonathan Marcos one of the deacons at my home church Lance Karras, a Marine I served with, Tony and Kathy Peacum. It has been hard to deal with this all throughout my life because while no one asks about it on a job application, you know that if you admit to this, you are never getting hired because of all the negative press coverage. But I have not blamed God for this. God made me uniquely the way I am. In fact, it brings some advantages. I see the world differently than many people. I think about ways and different things, and it's given me different unique lights to see His gospel in, to use it. Now the reason why I'm still not naming it, I can, if you're really curious, I will tell you after church and what it is and the reason why, but there's a specific reason that I'm not doing it from the pulpit. but it has been difficult to deal with this throughout my entire life. And I share this with you now because some of you might have suspected something was slightly off, but you have shown me so much grace. And that is your testimony as well for showing me grace. And for those of you who think I also have a condition, I also have some physical, mental or emotional Condition I was born with that God can never use me. There are pro- the prophet Moses told God that he had a stammering tongue. The prophet Jeremiah said, "I am but a boy." Me, I was born with a condition that makes me think very different than most people. But God has used each of us and used the gifts that He has given us. I consider it a gift. I've learned to deal with the shortcomings that come with it. But I consider it a blessing that God has given me this unique way of seeing everything. I share this now with you, so that in hopes that whatever you think is holding you back, that you can't measure up to the works of Paul. That God is not calling you to measure up to the works of Paul, to the works of Christ, but to shine his lights, you don't need to heal the world. Christ has already has done the work necessary for that to bring the lost to become children of God. Instead, you need to shine as lights to guide them to the one who will ultimately bring forth salvation. I thank you. For thank you. <laughs> I feel that the word family is often taken out of context in our day in society. That's why for you, I use a different word now. You move beyond family. You are my ohana. That's the Hawaiian word for family. We do not dilute that meaning. It does not include merely biological relations. But those that we consider true family You have become that to me. I hope I have become it to you. Amen. Amen.